0: Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. It is the happy- All right, time to record. No pressure, no pressure, no pressure. We're all friends here. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the episode three dash two nine four of the Run Run Live three dot zero podcast. And we are here today to continue our convivial conversations around the efficacy and transformational power of endurance sports. Welcome. This is Chris, your transient poet laureate. Here to drop some smarts on you about training and work and life in general. Hey, so I'm talking to you from the San Bruno Courtyard right next to San Francisco Airport. So you're going to hear planes taking off and landing in the background. I'm just going to go with it because I'm out of time for the week. I got some great feedback from the last episode and uh, I believe my five core listeners all chimed in and said they really liked those essays I did on work and the dark plays. Obviously, I was in the throes of a hard week when I scribbled those missives. It pleases me mightily that they helped you or anyone and resonated somehow harmoniously with our universe. I was on a plane across the country when I wrote this, and I was trying to figure out what I could eat on the plane that wouldn't blow up my diet. And Delta has something called the all-natural cran blueberry crunch. So I got a bag of that. And I read the nutritional information, and it said it was 172 calories per per serving. That's not bad. And then I looked. There was five servings per container. Damn, that's 860 calories a bag. I know, in the past, I would have happily eaten a whole bag of these. I guess it's not a bad choice if you could just make it into five little snacks. 110 of those 172 calories are from fat in the nuts, which proves one thing, that you should never read the labels, because it'll just make you unhappy. I am seeing some life in my training. Yay! I barely survived that last dark week that I was in when we last talked. But I hung in there, and it's starting to suck a little bit less, and my confidence is building. I'm going to talk about this whole process a little bit in Section 2 today called The Big Bounce. In Section 1, I'm going to give you my take on the classic self-help vehicle of affirmations. And in today's featured interview, I have a great chat with Jackie Millet, who started running later in life a couple of years ago, actually, and just won her age group at Comrades. Yeah, she's a super nice person. I mean, really nice. And she gives some great insight. It was a very easy chat with her, some great insights into what is possible. As I was getting into the dark place in my training a couple of weeks ago, I really had to narrow my focus and remove the variables. So I took my long step-up run onto the treadmill to avoid the heat and the hills And I took my tough long interval workout down to the track so I could measure the effort without variability. And this really helped me get my head wrapped around these hard workouts. It helps to control the variability so you can focus on the form and the effort and the pace, not have to worry about oh here's a hill, or it's 90 degrees out, you know, or it's windy, or the road's lumpy. You know, you got to control those variables. I've also started getting serious about my weight traditionally historically as i get into these hard weeks of the training cycle my weight will naturally adjust down to race weight and i figure it's okay to go into the first couple of build cycles a little chunky because it's sort of like weight training for strength building and it burns off and as i get closer to the race i'm i'm lean and mean and and fast Uh, but this time it just wasn't working i mean this cycle it just wasn't happening I got through that first hard cycle and didn't lose a gram. And this is a problem because due to the injuries and the time off and the beer, I've I've managed to grow the bottom line up to around 196 plus pounds, which is way too heavy for me and way too heavy to be doing speed work and long tempo runs. And this is beyond heavy and squarely into jiggly territory for me. And I don't stand a chance of running my goal pace at my target race, if I'm over, let's say, 185 pounds, and I'm only six, seven weeks out from my goal race. So some corrective action was required. So what I did is what I do in most of these situations where I can't figure it out myself, is I got myself a coach. And I connected with Rachel, who's one of my PRS Fit teammates, and she does nutritional counseling. And I asked her to look at my diet and to help me not just slim down, but to optimize my nutrition for training. Because obviously, if what I've been doing isn't working, then it's time for a bit of an intervention, a different approach. So I started logging all my food in my fitness pal again. And if anybody's interested, I'll friend you. You can look at my log. That's fine. But she looked at it for the week and said, hey, you eat really clean. I don't know what your problem is. So, of course, she wasn't looking at the previous weeks, right, <laughs> which were all like Chinese food, Mexican food an entire pizza for dinner, you know, a 12 pack of wonderful full-bodied craft ales with potato chips and cheese on top. So, uh <laughs> when we get a few weeks into this uh process, I'll write it up for you and give you some of the pros and cons, what I and and what works and what doesn't. The biggest challenge so far that she has given me is when she said is sort of a loaded question. Do you really drink 6 to 8 cups of coffee a day? And that's, you know, it's like when your, your spouse says, are you really going to put that there? You know, they're not really asking you a question. <laughs> so sell your coffee futures. The mad dog is cutting back. And after a week of clean eating, I'm proud to say I'm down under 187 pounds and training feels so much easier. And if I can keep this focused nutrition up for the next five or six weeks, I'll walk into the target race lean and mean with no jiggles. And like Maverick said, I feel the need for speed. I've got a heavy travel over the next few weeks, uh, so we'll see if I can stay away from the thousand-calorie snack bags and keep it focused while rolling out of bed at the crack of dawn to push that rock up the hill. At least an eagle isn't eating my liver while I sleep. Come on, I know you folks are well-read and will get my obtuse Greek mythology references. When life... Gives you lemons. Give them back. Get some limes. Limes are better. And they cure scurvy. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. New-agey woo-woo solutions for your angst. Feeding the good dog. So I listen to, I read, I absorb a lot of what might be referred to as self-help material. I find it interesting and helpful. One of my personal strengths, and of course I know this from reading a book on strengths and taking their assessment, one of my personal strengths is input. I love to absorb input. I'll listen to maybe 10, 12 hours of content some weeks. I'll read maybe a book a week, and I'll always have four or five books going. And the common thread to all this content, this input, is that I learn things from it. It's not romance novels or comic books or sports shows. It's not entertainment per se because I'm learning something. And in that regard, in that sense, it gives me pleasure because one of my other top five strengths is learning. I love to learn new things. I consume input. I learn. And with this volume of input over the years, I have probably learned enough about history to earn a degree, and I've learned enough about business and leadership to fill multiple MBA curricula. I've also absorbed many works from the self-help genre. Having surveyed a broad swath of this literature, I can see patterns and similarities. Using my strategic thinking strength, I can apply those common themes to other areas of my life and i can also use my communication strength to explain them to other people but why do you care because there are common elements to all these programs common patterns common themes and for instance being future focused and positive or abundant in your outlook is a common theme being passionate and living without fear is a common theme Taking action, especially in the face of uncertainty and risk, that's another common theme. Should all start to sound familiar now. Understanding and using your strengths, that's a theme. You've heard me talk about all these. But what do you do to realize these themes? How do you make them work for you? And a common directive is to, again, a common theme is to figure out what your life's purpose is. So you can have something bigger than yourself to live in accordance with. And sometimes this is religious. Some other times it's spiritual. And usually it ends up helping others as a higher purpose. So tactically, though, the most common directive, common to all these things, to actualize these themes is to set goals. So every one of these will have you set goals. And these goals align with your purpose and they stretch you out of your comfort zone to become a better version of yourself. Okay, another common prescription, especially in the recent writings, is meditation practice. You've heard a lot of this recently. And more common than all of this, the most common theme is the practice of affirmation and visualization. Now, I have touched on meditation recently in one of my articles, and I do believe it to be a powerful tool to meld the mind, but I've only paid lip service to affirmation and visualization. And so that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Apologies for the long preamble. In a sense, when I write and you read or listen to an emotionally powerful tract on one of these topics— We are both practicing an abstract affirmation and visualization. When I write about my workouts or my races, when I extol the virtues of something, I'm writing for you as my audience, but I'm also writing for myself. I'm extolling myself to lead a virtuous life like Marcus Aurelius in his meditations. The guise is to frame it as a message to you, but in reality, I'm calling myself out, fortifying myself, and keeping it real. In most of the self-help type messaging, they will tell you to write down affirmations and read them daily. They will also tell you to visualize what you want your life to be. They will tell you to paint that picture of your ideal life or an ideal situation so vividly in your mind that it becomes your new reality. In this way, affirmations telling yourself this is your true reality and visualizations, seeing it as your true reality, are supposed to create change in your life by changing your mindset. It's an interesting exercise. I always considered this a bit of a false veneer. I always thought it a bit comical, unseemly, and disingenuous to be hanging snippets of inspiration around the house and reading them into the mirror with great gusto and passion every day It runs counter to my cultural upbringing to be publicly espousing my affirmations every day, like the spreading of so much pop cultural manure. But that being said, I do write them down, and on occasion I will read through them. I don't think that they have the power to radically change my life, but they do a good job of setting or resetting your frame of mind in the right way. As part of your morning routine, or if you are in need of some recentering, you can do some meditation and read through your affirmations. With that exhaustive preamble, now I will share with you an edited version of some of my self-talk journaling. I constantly add and change these depending on what specific parts of my life I'm focusing on. So sit back and listen now as I talk to you and to myself And we create a positive frame of mind. I call this feeding the good dog. Here comes another plane. Sounds like an Airbus. What am I grateful for? What am I grateful for today? I have always had a great job, and I'm gainfully employed. I get to learn things and help people. I am grateful for being able to practice this craft I am grateful for having the gift of a curious and active mind and a desire to improve myself. I am grateful for being a self-motivated person. I am grateful to live in a world of infinite opportunity. I am grateful for the opportunity to help and to add value to my community. I am grateful for the love and the health of my family, and I am grateful for their companionship. I am grateful to be living in a place and time that allows me to pursue my life free of danger. I am grateful for the physical gifts that I have been given and my ability and choice to use them in a fulfilling way. I am grateful to be loved, happy, healthy, and secure. I am grateful for the gifts that I have been given. I believe in the abundance of life. I like to travel. It provides me with adventure, opportunity, and fulfillment. I am not afraid of my hard workouts. I embrace them as an opportunity to find my strength. I am peaceful and balanced in my running and endurance sports. I do it because I love it. My body is strong. My body is athletic. My body is flexible. My body will do amazing things if I let it. I have the knowledge, discipline, and desire to achieve. I am a healthy and balanced person. I love my body. I live a healthy lifestyle. I understand and control my nutrition. I make good decisions about what I eat. I help my wife. I love my wife. I listen to my wife. I help my kids become happier people and give them the choice to lead fulfilling lives. I listen to my children and learn from them. I like people. My first reaction is to accept the people I meet. Give them space. Listen to them and listen to their story. I appreciate the gift of their stories. I am a compelling speaker. I light up a room when I enter it. I am a great conversationalist with strangers. I'm an excellent writer. I am open to new ideas and open to new opportunities. And I'm a good person. I like myself. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of failing. I take leaps of faith on those things that are important and make sense to me. Failing for me is just another form of forward movement. I take the time to finish what I start. I get work done. I do quality work. I do the best job I can in the time available. I hurry, but I don't rush. And the world values my ability to make choices and the choices I make. I make decisions with confidence. I begin projects with great intent, and I finish them with greater intent. I am worthy of my successes. I am humble. I earn the respect and praise I get. I embrace the world as it is. I live in the present. I celebrate the now. I do the most I can, the best I can, with the gifts I've been given. This is a fulfilling life for me. I embrace my community. I ask good questions and I listen well. I make people feel respected and important. I do the right thing, not the easy thing. I believe that I am deserving of happiness and fulfillment. I believe that I am deserving of financial success. I believe that I have a limitless energy and ability. I believe I can change, and every day I will improve my life for the better. I believe the future is bright. I believe I can do anything I set my mind to. I set compelling goals, and I execute every day. I believe I can finish what I've started and push through boundaries and roadblocks. I take action towards my goals every day. I believe the universe will provide answers when I need them if I keep moving forward with my efforts. I believe that I am a kind, thoughtful, and generous human that is willing and able to help others in impactful ways that will lead to my own success. Why now? I need to start now. There's no time like now. There's no day except today. The things I must change are things that I have wanted to change my whole life. The things I must do are important to me, my family, and the world. I commit to continuously rewire my life and lifestyle for continuous improvement. Making the effort to change now will have an outsized impact on my life five and ten years down the road. Today is a nexus in my life, and I need to change for the better today. Visualization. I visualize myself at work. I am engaged with a client. I am confident and thoughtful. And have an executive presence. I listen well to my client and affirm what they say. I challenge the client with insights and strategies that may surprise them. I talk easily and helpfully about topics that may cause dynamic tension. I say and do the right things, which are sometimes the hard things. I communicate with passion and enthusiasm. My personal drive and awareness creates a contagious optimism. When confronted by challenges, emergencies, and surprise attacks, I smile breathe, and relax into the tension. My body language says that I am thrilled to be challenged in this way, and I think before I answer. I visualize myself training. When I am training, I focus on relaxing into the dynamic stress on my body and mind. I accept all workouts, easy and difficult, as opportunities to celebrate my strength, what my body can do, and reaching through boundaries to find the joy in exhaustion. In each workout, I do the best I can. If I'm tired or have setbacks, I don't give up. I gather myself, regroup, and come at the difficulty again with more mindfulness until I succeed. I realize that any training campaign is defined by a thousand critical moments and that perseverance and patient execution is the key to long-term success. When I race, I compete with strategy and mindfulness. I relax into the effort and let the race come to me. When the moment of truth comes, I dig deep into the well of strength and abundance that I have built through my training. When it is time to fight, I fight with a ferocity and focus that burns deep into my soul. I don't back down from the race. I know that pain and effort and success all come in waves during a long race. I don't panic when the waves come. I hold the line and I give ground with the stubbornness and discipline of a soldier. I am grateful to have the opportunity to race. Like I said, these are affirmations and visualizations that I keep in a file on my computer and I read through purposely a couple times a week to set my mind right. It's an ever-changing, growing list, and depending on what I'm working on and what inspires me, your homework is to create your own affirmations and visualizations. You don't have to scream them into the mirror. The simple act of journaling them and revisiting them a couple times a week will help you find your center. I've also found that my brain is particularly pliable to these suggestions early in the morning after your meditation. So I'll also make a point of stripping off just the affirmation part of this recording, including the airplane noises, for you, and I'll post it on my site separately if you just want to listen to the affirmation parts. Okay? Ciao! And now for today's featured interview. Jackie. Hi. We were introduced by a mutual acquaintance, uh, Alex, and he said he met you at Boston this year. Are you were running Boston this year? That's
1: right, I did. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I had a fantastic time. I actually ran with um, a friend, a celebrity friend. She asked me to run with her, and we we decided on a time before the run um, that we were going to do it in because we both ran the London Marathon the week before. Yeah. Um, so we, we set our target on four hours, and we ran four hours and had a fantastic time in the process.
0: Well, you know, I was probably right around that time somewhere this year. So, yeah, it was amazing this year. It was a special
1: year to be there. I think that's why we, we both wanted to go.
0: Tell me your story. Give us, give us the 200 words or less on uh, who you are right. and what you do and why we're talking.
1: Right. Well, I um, I suppose that the main reason we're talking is that I'm 61 years old, and I started running a couple of years ago, really when I was 58. I started to get fit when I was 57. I'd had a, I'd had a health scare, which turned out to be nothing at all, but was enough to make me think. You know, I, I work as a psychotherapist. I sit all day in a chair. I didn't even have to go to the bus stop. So I didn't walk about. Um, and it was time to look after my body a bit more. I never did any sport in the past, and um, so I signed up as a gym met a very nice personal trainer who who got me fit really, fit enough. He'd had me on the treadmill and, and just said to me one day, you know, you you're okay at this, why don't you give it a go outside? And that was the start of it.
0: Wow, so just we're what, three less than three years in and you're running the Comrades Marathon? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
1: I started off with the 5k runs and very quickly built up. um After I ran my first marathon, that was it. You know, I just wanted to run long distance. Uh, well, long distance at the time seemed to be a marathon. And then um for my 60th birthday, I thought, I, I, you know, I'd known about the Comrades Marathon even before I was a runner. I was always interested in running, but just thought I couldn't do it. So... Why not treat myself to the comrades marathon as my sixtieth birthday present, and that's what I did. It was fantastic
0: right and you're and and you're not one of those uh you know uh eight hour marathoners you're you're right up there you're qualifying and you mm-hmm. must you must have some natural talent for this jackie
1: How would i know i I really don't know it doesn't feel <laughs> like I have any natural talent. I've never thought of myself as sporty or um, you know, there's no reason for me to think that. I, I just have this feeling that if if you want to do it and you put the the hours in, you you can. It's it seems like that to me. I I really don't. I don't, I don't want to put down people who don't run. You know, sub four hour marathons. But um, it, it, I don't feel I've got anything special. I suppose is what I want to say.
0: Yeah, so I mean, you know, people could take one of two things away, right? They could be like angry, yeah. sort of uh, what the heck? I traded my whole life and blah 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 and I can't do that and uh or they could say, "Wow, this is amazing. Anybody can do it, yeah. right? You can if you can drop into it at 58 years old and be successful. You know, what's stopping you?" So, I mean, did you have um I mean, did you stay you said you weren't an athlete, you weren't fit or you um at least reasonably fit i mean it, it wasn't like you came in as a you know a a 300 pound person
1: no i was always reasonably slim um i i, I never had much of an appetite to be honest so i, I, I never, i'd never had put weight on i i did a, a little bit of hill walking on holidays but nothing else at all you know there was no there was no um background in sport or fitness even even as a child um my family went into any kind of sport so um I, yeah there was nothing there before
0: you started from zero but at least you didn't start from you know negative right That's right. You didn't, didn't yeah. have you didn't dig a hole that you had to climb out of yeah yeah which is a a story we get a lot over here in the states where you know the first thing folks have to do is they have to you know they have to get that 200 pounds off before they they start in on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm here too. I know, I know quite a few people now who have that story. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting, but it, once, once they make that inflection point point, they make the turn, it seems to, everything seems to work out. It com- becomes very inspirational. Yeah. So, you know, this isn't that uncommon of a story because I've been running my whole life and I noticed the, the people, both men and women, who drop into running after their, you know, their kids are out of school, or, you know, later in life, 40s and 50s, and they do really well. They start winning races, and they've never done it before, and I always wondered, you know, is it that they don't have that, those miles on their body, you know, or was it just some undiscovered talent, right?
1: Yeah, no, I've wondered that too, and and certainly, you know, I've I've been, uh, thankfully, I've been injury-free, and and I wonder whether, you know, my body hasn't taken a battering in the years before. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe there's more desire too, because, you know, it's all, it's, it's all so new to me. I, and I haven't got jaded at all. You know, every marathon is, is a, a real adventure. And, um, maybe if I'd been running all my life, I wouldn't feel quite the same.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, especially with women, because when women, come into the sport, still a little, not so much um, going forward, but in the last, you know, 15, 10, 15 years, a woman coming into the sport and having any kind of talent at, you know, past 40 years old would immediately win races. Yeah. Or or win their age groups at least because there just, there weren't that many. Yeah,
1: there's not much competition. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so I think um, 1979 was the first year, we had women on our cross country team when I was in high school. Yeah. You know, so they just, it just wasn't part of the culture or at least the U.S. culture until very recently. That's right. But now go, now going forward, you're not going to have that advantage.
1: <laughs> no, uh, well, maybe. I, they, You know, I still tend up to races and there's no one, um, no women near my age. Um, they, it happens quite often. Um, you know we are the underrepresented age group, aren't we and um but there are also there are a few women around in this country that I know of who are older than me and who are incredibly fast and and still running really well and it's great to see them and it it's it, it's it's good to be in a race with them you know there, it feels like there's some company
0: <laughs> yeah, there's some uh camaraderie yeah. there because it's uh, kind of a small club.
1: I have to say, though, in general, the other runners are fantastic. Uh, You know, I I never feel out of place. I never feel unwelcome. At the beginning of Comrades, I had lots of people wanting to have their photograph taken with me just because I was standing there in the starting pen, and, you know, they were all so much younger, and people are, are fantastic about it. They're really encouraging and welcoming.
0: Did you meet our friend uh, Michael Wardian while you were out
1: there? No, I didn't.
0: Yeah, I think he, I don't know what he did. I think maybe he came in second.
1: All oh, right.
0: He holds the 50K record, I think, the trail 50K record in the U.S. still.
1: Wow. Well, then he, he was probably there, because I went to the prize-giving ceremony, and all the winners were there, and I was That's right. I was in a bit of a state of shock, really. <laughs> but um, so I didn't take much in. Because I was so nervous, but but it was fantastic to to be there.
0: How did you feel after the you know it's fifty four right or fifty six miles? Miles. How much?
1: Fifty six.
0: Yeah, fifty six miles. How did you feel after that?
1: Well, I felt great. My, my last three miles, although it is downhill, my, my fastest three miles were my last three miles. I just absolutely loved it. I was overtaking hundreds of people and, um, getting lots of cheers and, you know, so I came into the, into the stadium on a real high and, um, as soon as I crossed the line, I got a phone call from someone at home who'd been tracking me and told me that I'd won my age group, which I hadn't realised. Um, while I was out there because you have no idea where people are and it was just a fantastic feeling and then um I, I'd taken my daughter out with me this year. Um, She's 27 and she just started running last year and she came out to run Comrades and about half an hour after me she came in and that was the best feeling ever. It was just fantastic that you know I, I wasn't sure whether she'd finish even but she did a good time and and um, we had our photographs taken together. So it was, it was one of the best days. One of the best days yeah. ever.
0: That's great. And your body recovered okay from that? You didn't have, uh, you know, any, uh, joint or, you mm-hmm. know, quadricep no, kind of pain? I was
1: fine. I, I ran the next marathon about, um, it was about 11 days afterwards. Um, and, um, we, yeah. No, we were both fine actually. There were a lot of people having to walk sideways up the stairs and neither of us had that problem so maybe there's something in our bodies that makes running downhill easier for us
0: yeah huh that's that's great because i know after i ran uh a, the 50 miler i felt like i got hit by a car for a couple of days yeah
1: <laughs> uh, we were too too keen to go out and party and um for, for <laughs> <the> celebrations <laughs> well
0: i, I mean the, that's it's Part of it coming to running later in life is that, you know, your kids are out and you don't have a whole bunch of responsibilities. You've made your way in life, so you have sort of the time and the resources to do it, right?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. But but the best thing for me has been that my family have all joined in too. Both, you know, my daughter, son, and my husband all run now.
0: That's great. And you're faster than all of them, though, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you could tell the kids to blame it on dad.
1: <laughs> yeah, they they could do it if they trained. I'm not going to be faster than my daughter for much longer. She's only been running a year and she's already, you know, catching up.
0: Yeah. So, you know, you're a, a psychotherapist, right? That's right. So, so I'm sure the, the whole culture and mindset of running and people coming into running, you know, must be fascinating to you.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I started off life really as a cell biologist. I I always wanted to understand the human mind, the human brain and started from the chemical side and then sort of hit a brick wall really and and retrained in psychology to come at it from the other angle. So I've got both sides and um yeah, it's been it's absolutely fascinating and, and fascinating talking to the people I meet, um, especially in trail runs when you have a bit more time for a chat and you know you hear their stories. There are patterns there, but not that everyone is is that you know has the same um, reasons for, for for doing it. But there are patterns.
0: Yeah, and and one of them that I know uh, Alex was talking to you about is the addiction pattern, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, running, or especially ultras, become sort of the replacement therapy for some addiction that they had. So, and part, you know, I would think a lot of that has got to be chemical, where you're getting those happy running chemicals.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, that is, I think it is quite a common pattern. Though, you know, I have to say, it's certainly not everyone. I mean, I don't, I don't feel. People say to me all the time, oh, you're addicted or you're obsessed. But, um, when you think through, you know, the people who are addicted, they, they need to run all the time. They, they, they need to do more and more to get the same feeling. My, right. m- as far as I'm concerned, I want to run as, <laughs> as little as possible to, to be, enable me to take part in the events. You know, it's the events I want to do. And, um, if I can, I train on as little as possible because um, the training is boring and certainly I don't feel miserable if I can't go out for a run. <laughs> but but it is a pattern I've heard from, from other people I've spoken to.
0: The other interesting thing that I've been talking about recently is uh, uh, what they refer to as flow states. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that really resonated with me because I can see it because it's a combination of the chemicals, the movement. And the state you can sort of drop into this flow state while you're running, and it's and it's very uh, very meditative in one sense, but it's also um, quite uh, you know a lot of good feelings there, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think people like that.
1: They've, they've always talked about muscle memory, haven't they? You know that you, the more you repeat an activity, then your muscles learn, uh, the, the the pathways are strengthened um, for that for that activity in your muscles. So then you can do it unconsciously. And I think the same with the brain that the more you do something, the pathways in the brain the well, the way i I understand it for myself is that you you know you strengthen the pathways in the brain to do with that activity, and so you can start to do it without thinking and and then your brain can can go into some other state um, that's how I understand it for myself um. So it becomes a more automatic process, and that leaves your brain, I don't know, time to reflect, to meditate, whatever it is it does.
0: Right, and I think that it flows over into your not-running life as well, you know, that conditioning to your brain.
1: Yeah, it, definitely. It, it, yeah.
0: yeah, it bleeds over, so you're more, I guess, calm or, or meditative or whatever it is.
1: It certainly made me a lot calmer, a lot more tolerant, a lot, a lot more, yeah, generally happy with my life and my lot. And I think that's been one of the biggest changes since I started running. I'm I'm just a much happier person. And it, it's not just the, the, I, I don't, I'm not sure I get those running highs. I get a fantastic feeling when I finish an event, but, but certainly, generally, through the rest of my life, I'm just happier and calmer.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in in a sense, it's like meditation. Um, And again, I've been talking a lot about this recently, where you you can sort of get into a meditative state when you're running. And when people think about meditation, they think about um, breathing meditation, where you're just sitting still and focusing on your breath and clearing your mind. There's some of that in running, sort of a disassociation, especially when you're out in the woods and the trail because that natural environment, you know, really promotes that. But there's also sort of this focused yeah. meditation where you, you have a thought and you follow that thought. Yeah. You know, and you follow it very deeply and turn it over and see the angles. And that's where you get really good ideas. Yeah.
1: Right. I, totally. I agree. And, you know, I was useless at the sitting down, breathing, trying to meditate. Absolutely useless. Could not. I, I was always I too agitated. I couldn't. It, it never worked for me. Um, so actually, getting a chance to 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 do it and to think deeply um, about something while I'm actually moving is is, is the perfect answer.
0: Right. I, I have always found that I will have the most brilliant ideas when I'm out running. It takes a while; you have to get into that state. But once you're in that state, it's very uh, it's it's amazing what you can come up with. It's very powerful. Yeah. So we need to hook up some MRI machines and see what's going on inside our heads when we're when we when we're out there doing it. And it doesn't have to be fifty miles, it can be in a three mile or a two mile. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, uh, no, but I I also found that it's um the trails are much more likely to cause that sort of happiness, uh good thinking, you know, all these things we're talking about. Trail running is much more Likely to cause that than run on the road
1: yeah i i I see them as completely different events you know they they they're they're almost like um separate sports the 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 road running it it seems to me it's a lot more competitive anyway for most people. you are just chasing that time and the trail it's you're just somewhere else it's completely different it's uh you you you're aware of the the beauty around you and nature around you. Uh, it puts you into a different frame of mind. And generally what well, the roads have, you know, more supporters and distractions. And the trail is is you, you're more often on your own or just with a couple of other runners. And it's, it's a lot more peaceful.
0: Right. So the, the environment is important when you're talking about how the you know, how the, how the brain works when you run it, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I think probably a treadmill is the worst.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think probably you're right. But you know, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think the research does show if you surround yourself with beautiful things, then, you know, you think more beautiful thoughts. And certainly, um, you know, that would be the case with the trail run that the more time you spend out in, in, you know, this, in nature's environment, rather than our man-made, which which can be beautiful at times, but I think um, again, it's 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 good for, for for the mind.
0: Yeah, it's and the times that I've had very uh, very peaceful runs in a city would be early in the morning or late at night, right, where it's sort of asleep. Yeah, and it's more of an environment than a lot of things going on. Yeah, right. So so yeah, I mean, I think that's what it is. It's just all the different activities. Uh, keep your brain busy and don't allow it to sort of relax so yeah that's interesting this is super interesting we should write a book about this
1: certainly in in the boston marathon or the the london marathon you're not going to lose yourself are you (laughs) many people sort of you know shouting your name and cheering you on you're certainly not gonna get any decent thinking done
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so i was running uh for the uh, the liver research team this year, I had a shirt that must have said "liver" on it somewhere because people kept yelling "go liver," and, and it just gave me such a it gave me a really funny visual yeah. you know, of, a, of a liver running down the road.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Coming into this like you have and doing it for a couple of years now, what what kind of a advice would you have for people? You know, what kind of cautions or recommendations or advice would you have for folks? coming into it well, if they haven't done it their whole life?
1: Obviously, if they're older, uh, coming into it, then they should make sure that there's no health issues first. I mean, uh, I didn't go to my doctor before I started running because I'd, I'd just been checked out. I'd, I'd sort of, you know, had thought I was ill and I wasn't and so I knew I was fine, but I would say, if you have any concern at all, go and get checked out with your doctor and tell them what you're planning to do. And then I mean, we have this wonderful thing in this country, which they're trying to start off in the States, um, called Park Run.
0: Sure, which, yeah. Which
1: is a free um, Saturday morning run at virtually every park in the country. And it's spread to Australia and South Africa. Um, and you just turn up on a Saturday morning and meet very encouraging people. And you can walk or run 5K with them. Um and, you know, they give you lots of feedback and email feedback on on your time and how you're doing and your pace. And, you know, it was a brilliant way for me to start because there are people there with children, with dogs, pushing buggies, so there's not, no intimidation if you're not a runner. And I know there yeah. are a few of them in the States, but here, you know, virtually any town you're in, you can go to one. But so to find somewhere, really, that, that where, you know, there are people who will welcome you. I mean, I don't know what the system is in the States in terms of the running clubs. I don't know whether they, you know, welcome new members and and encourage you to, to run with them. But certainly other people help me along an awful lot. And. Yeah,
0: sure. We have a ton of running clubs. You just have to be careful which ones if you're starting up from scratch. You have to be careful because you may drop into some serious folks yeah. and they'll they'll ruin the experience for that's you. Right. That's Not because they're trying to ruin no. it for you, just because that's the way they are.
1: Well, for for the few people who are near a park run in the states, I know there's one in in Miami and there's one in oh, on one of the lakes. I don't know. Anyway, that for, if I would certainly say search out the park run and try that because the the whole ethos is you know, is is to welcome people into running. And do it gradually is the other thing. Just do it gradually and don't don't worry if you're having to walk and run. Yeah. But but certainly I would I would say enter events because I mean I can only speak for myself but I love going along to an event. It's it's you know, no matter whether it's a five k, ten k, marathon, I I always feel special. You know, I might I might be at the back of a particular field, but once you cross the line and someone gives you a medal or a t shirt or something, you you feel you've really achieved something. So I I'd, I'd encourage people to go along to events and you know not to worry about their position. Just they're just running really you know, for themselves.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. And people get scared, I think, about some of these local 5Ks, but there's no... They're typically very welcoming. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. So, all right. Good stuff. So I'll let you go. Do you have any uh, uh, website or blog or links or anything you want to share with us? No,
1: them? no, I don't. I I, I just um, potter along on my own. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of looking for a, a focus, really. I'm I'm looking for something some way of making use of this. I haven't got anything particular in mind at the moment, but I just feel like um, I want to do a bit more than I'm doing at the moment with, with the running.
0: Well, you know, it's simple enough. It's really, you know, people talk about blogging, but it's really just journaling in another form, right? Yeah. And you'd be surprised how it's like we talked about before. People say, well, I've got nothing to say. Who'd, who'd talk? Who'd listen to me? And... You know, that's really the average Joe uh, is the people, yeah. that's who they can relate to. Well, uh, right? yeah,
1: maybe that's a, a place to start. And and I'd, I'd also like to encourage older women in particular to get into running. So, you know, I'm I'm looking around all the time for ways of doing that. So, so this is great, you know, getting the opportunity to talk to you. This is great.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a niche that has a, a wide open white space. Yeah. You could, um, you could really get some traction there.
1: Well, it was really good to talk to you. Ah, you too. Okay, well, thanks very much.
0: All right, cheers.
1: Bye-bye. Hitch up your tights, because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports.
0: The big bounce in your training cycle. How to stay with it and make it work for you. So the training effect, what is it? Well, the training effect is your body's response to the effort of training. You push your body through hard effort, and your body responds and adapts. So what are the elements, some of the elements of that adaptation? That adaptation has many elements, and these all affect your whole body-mind. So you have a muscular adaptation. This is the most obvious. Your muscles respond to the effort. Maybe at first they are sore and then as you get fit, they grow stronger and they're able to take bigger loads for longer periods of work. This is the macro adaptation. You get stronger. At the micro level, your muscle tissue, your cells are actually reconfiguring themselves to align their ability with the effort required of them. You also have structural adaptation. As you increase the load and effort, your bones and tendons, all that stuff will strengthen. The attach points will grow larger and stronger. The flexibility and responsiveness of the connective tissues will adapt to your racing stride. Your tendonitis will turn into explosive responsiveness. There's also an aerobic and metabolic element to this adaptation. Your body's plumbing, the heart, lungs, digestion, veins, arteries, all this stuff will reconfigure themselves into a high volume efficient network in response to the training load. And of course there's a mental adaptation. Your body-mind connection will learn to adapt and tune itself to the training and the racing effort. And it's important to realize that the training effect is not a straight line response. It's a curve. And your training effort can shape that curve in the big push, big bounce scenario. The gains you can make in a relatively short and intense training cycle can be exponential or at least additive. They are only incremental if your training is incremental. The big push, big bounce methodology breaks that linear response assumption. The magnitude of positive change is relative to the magnitude of your push. And yeah, I'm talking about you, long, slow, build, training plans. The caveat is that you have to work very carefully not to break. The big push has to be managed to push you to your breaking point, but not beyond it. Because if you break yourself in the big push, you don't get the big bounce. You can break yourself in any of those adaptation areas, muscular, structural, or uh, aerobic, and yes, mentally with that big push. That's why the big push has to be a measured and balanced plan, closely tailored to your abilities and your history as closely as you can get. And the key word here is plan. If you have a good, solid history, you can confidently put together a plan that is plausible for you. So pulling a standard plan off the internet or such is okay, but it's better to have one that's specific to you. That's why a coach especially a coach who has some history with you, is so effective in putting together a tailored plan. They can be objective. They can keep you from breaking yourself in the big push and at the same time push you harder into the dark place than you would push yourself and then hold you accountable for getting the work done. The plan becomes ultimately important in the big bounce because it simplifies the work. When you're in the dark place and holding on by your fingernails, mentally and physically, you can't doubt your plan. You have to trust your plan and simply execute. The plan is the light at the end of the tunnel when all other positive feedback is gone. In the Big Push, Big Bounce training plan, many of the workouts are going to be beyond your ability. They will push you to failure on purpose so you can be sure to find your edge and push it. In the big push, failure is okay. You have to walk or take a breather. But only after the plan has pushed you to that point, you have found the edge, the high watermark to look for in your next cycle, in your next push. It takes a bit of courage to train to failure. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's mentally crushing not to be able to finish a prescribed workout. But through failure, you will find success. It's not supposed to be easy. That's the whole point. Most workouts in the big push will suck. The light at the end of the tunnel is your goal race. The big push doesn't pause to let you celebrate your success. It keeps pushing because success is found at the end of your goal race. In this way, the compressed training cycle of the big push, big bounce is not bad. It is a specific strategy to get you to your race goal in the most direct, efficient, and effective way. When I first started training and qualifying in the marathon, my my years were broken into two racing seasons, spring and fall. I would start training for the Boston Marathon on January 1st with my first long run of the campaign of 10 to 12 miles. And in those days, we would target a mid-October race as our qualifier for the next year. And I would kick off my training campaign on the 4th of July. So I had two campaigns. One would start on January 1st, one would start on the 4th of July. And in between campaigns, I would run a little, but mostly I'd just try to get out of shape. And if you do the math on this, I was left with 12 to 14 weeks to prepare myself for a qualifying marathon. And here's the big reveal, the aha moment. If you're willing to go to the dark place to deploy the big push, big bounce training campaign, 12 weeks is enough time to get into qualifying shape, and over the course of those 12 weeks are four cycles of three weeks each, each three-week cycle pushing harder and deeper like a kid pumping to build up momentum on a swing to get to that final exit velocity to launch. That's four big pushes and four big bounces that will spit you out onto the starting line of your goal race hard and ready. And this type of training is not for the couch to 5k crowd. You, you need to have some baseline of training to make it through Unbroken. But you don't need to be an expert or an elite to do the work and transform yourself into a racing machine. During this training cycle, you will have to stick to the plan. You will have to execute the plan as prescribed. You have to commit. You can't mail it in or execute it half-heartedly. You will lose weight and harden up. You will get that lean look that that identifies those serious marathoners, and you'll have to take care of your body. You'll have to proactively stay on top of the aches and pains. You'll need to watch your nutrition and your fuel to support the workouts, and you'll have to fuel to help your recovery. You'll have to find a way to get enough sleep. So in summary, This is not some evil Knievel kamikaze training plan. It's an effective strategy to a PR or a BQ or other tangible race goal. And I guarantee you that with the right plan and the commitment to executing the work, you can transform your ability to race in 12 to 14 weeks with the big push, big bounce. The woods are lovely, dark,
1: and deep, but I have promises to keep. And miles to go before I sleep. And miles
0: to go before I sleep. All righty then. Pump those brakes and let's move it to the exit of episode 3-294. To summarize, everything's going pretty well. I'm busy as heck, especially when you throw in travel and two-hour workouts uh, there's much more that I want to do. I have to work on my ability to not do some things so I can wrestle more of the ideas in my head into existence. But other than that, I'm, I'm doing well. One of the key things about this training cycle is my ankle pain, my Achilles pain, and my general achiness is getting much better. And it's probably the less inflammatory diet combined with a lot of self-massage early in the training cycle. And it not it nice to talk to me when things are going well? (laughs) I'll tell you a a couple of stories from since we last talked. So first of my track stories. I do my track workouts down at the local middle school track. They recently refinished this track, and it's beautiful. And I've been training on this track for 18 years, I've been going down there and doing laps. And I see many of the same people down there who used to walk there, you know, in the early evenings, the same crews down there. But there's different people as well. They come and they go. Because I'm down there for like two hours, right? And these people come in, they do their laps, and they leave. So I suppose I might be a bit of a strange presence. When I'm down there running 1600s at speed or tempo pace, I know I probably look like I'm giving birth to a cow, as I'm trying to hang on and relax into the effort. And I'm a runner. I'm at the running track and I'm running. And I think that's as close to the intended purpose of the track as you can get. But I still have, well, not issues per se, but situations. And I told you before about how the soccer moms used to yell at me for trying to run in lane one while they were, they were trying to set up their lawn chairs to watch practice. And they'd, they'd yell at me. They'd say, why can't you run in the other lanes? And I guess this is the whole thing here is that I could run in the other lanes, but then my 1600s are no longer 1600s. They're 1650s or something or some other mathematical construct that frankly I'm unable and unwilling to fathom as I'm dipping deep into the dark place. I have enough trouble holding it together to get my butt around the oval without having to swerve around people and do simple geometry. So last week. <laughs> get off of my load. So last week, I was doing a set of 400s at faster than 5k pace. So pushing fairly hard. And some folks came out to walk. And this one guy insisted on walking in the middle of lane one. Why? I don't even need all of lane one. Just give me like 12 inches to squeeze by on the inside when you hear me coming. Because believe me, you're gonna hear me coming. But no, Mr. Fitness Walker He wouldn't give me an inch. I had to step off the track into the grass to pass him. And and I'm thinking to myself, great, all this work, all this suffering, and I'm going to roll my ankle trying to get around this dude. So after a few 400s in the set that I was doing, I changed direction to keep my leg muscles balanced in in the workout. So there's a tip for you. Change directions um, halfway through your workout. And now I'm running straight at this guy in lane one. So I had one of those aha moments and just ran right at him. (laughs) I just ran right at his chest, and it woke him up to see my 190-plus pounds of sweaty meat bearing down on him, and he did flinch, and he gave way a bit, but he never did move over, and he glared at me every time, like, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. And then one other night I was down there uh, last week or the week before, and this guy comes down while, while I'm doing my workout, right? I'm already there, and this guy's got one leg, and he's on crutches. And guess where he starts crutching around the track? Yep, lane one. Just inserts himself into my workout and crutches away. And he's glaring at me every time I pass. I mean, the guy's got one leg, so I guess he gets the right of way. But what is it about me that pisses these people off? (laughs) So I'm going to choose to celebrate the fact that I'm down there doing the work. But these are the kind of things that are going through my head as I struggle through the dark place. On the lighter side... During one of my hour-and-a-half step-up runs that I chose to do on the treadmill at the gym, a lady with a very nice bum got on the elliptical machine in front of me, directly in front of me. And she could have got on any of those machines. And I'd just like to publicly thank her for choosing the one in front of me, because I was getting close to the end of my workout, and it really helped. And frankly, I think that should be a service at the club that they offer. Maybe it's a new business idea for you. I'm sure the women would like it, too. Attractive athlete inspiration and incentive program. So unfortunately, I have nothing in turn to trade in this regard, but say lovey. As we get closer to episode 300, I'm looking for guest blog posts still to read. And I will also experiment with other voices doing interviews. So if you want to do an interview with either one of my guests or people you know and you think will be educational and inspirational, let me know. We'll set it up. Have a great week. We'll see you out there. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm CYKT Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com and most if not all of this content is posted out there if you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when i publish a show in a beautiful html wrapper you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site you can find it there and it also has all the links to everything and everyone that i talk to and about other than that my friends thank you for the attention do epic stuff and let me know if i can help ciao